Hello, friends and enemies. It's episode 181 of This Machine Kills. I'm Jathan, joined by Ed and producer Jeremy. As always, everyone is back in the cut. Uh, we are podcasting at full strength. Um, I, I had a little, I had a little bit of a move. I, I now live in a new place, and uh, it's a five-flight walk-up. So I'm, I'm getting all that passive exercise. I feel like I'm living in New York City in the Big Apple with this fucking no elevator, no lift, uh, five-flight walk-up situation. Isn't it beautiful? Hey Ed. Yeah. Speaking of uh, life in the Big Apple, how did the uh, the encounter with the neighbor go last record? It's fine. We came to an understanding. We've definitely come to an understanding. So I think things are fine. Um, it's just they, they're like, I don't know, some people are, you know, we have a little comment space and some people are weird about it, but it's fine. Everyone's able to use it. You just have to like, you know, make it nice because I'm also planning on building or just leave it nice because I'm planning on building a little bird bath um, and, and a birdhouse and, you know, a little brick walkway and uh, and working on a garden. So like, you know, don't just you know, don't fuck up the place. So it was just that. It was just like a, it was just like a weird, um, a weird talk uh, that we had, we had that we didn't really need to have that they had just because they never talked to us before about the backyard. Stupid, uh, for, for people who don't know, at the at the end of our of the last premium episode, Ed disappeared for the last twenty minutes of it because he was having a good neighborly anarchist conflict resolution <laughs> right, right, crisis right, moment. Right. <laughs> Since we got you back, do you have any thoughts uh, that you didn't get an opportunity to add to that end of that episode, or you want to save that for? Uh, for I don't know, maybe a potential interview with with David Wingrove. Oh yeah, no, I'll, I'll, I'll put them in the. I'll put it in the pocket for an interview with our boy Wingrove. Sorry. Oh, the heat sapping. <laughs> the heat makes me yawn, man. I was outside walking around. I was helping. Uh, I was helping a friend of mine move, and um, uh, I had, and I was like, you know what? I'll just walk back instead of taking the bus. It's like half an hour. Um, and I was walking to the neighborhood and I was sweating my fucking ass off. Hmm. I mean, I moved, I moved a bunch of, he- I moved so much heavy stuff up this five flight walk up, bro. It, it, I, I, I'm sore for days. I'm going to be sore yeah. for weeks. I'm too you old. I'm too old for this shit. <laughs> <laughs> but you now, will be. They got your ass, you know. They, they got me, but it's a beautiful apartment, so I couldn't say no oh, yeah. in, a, in, a, oh, in yeah. a perfect location. I will not dox myself any further than that. Um, <laughs> good, good luck to all my all my haters and shooters out there walking around Melbourne looking for a five-flight walk-up being like, is that where Jathan lives? Is that where Jathan <laughs> lives? Camping out. Um, <laughs> Jathan, I think you might surpass me as having the best calves in the podcasting business. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Well, I got the, you know, we got that nat, those natural Eastern European calves because we're, you know, we're people on the move. Uh, we got peasant but- bodies. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's right. That's, but now, you know, Ed, Ed, you had your anarchist conflict resolution moment, but now I, I live in an apartment complex with um, it's called Strata here or Body Corporate, but it's basically like, like kind of like a homeowners corporation um, uh, that oversees like the the buildings and the the public or like the common property as it's called and stuff. And I haven't lived in a place with a, like a real strict strata situation like this before. Um, but like, I, you know, I checked the the mailbox for my new place and there was like three letters in there from the last month alone from this uh, body corporate from the committee as they're called. And it's all capitalized. It's the committee. Um, and it's just stuff like there are reports of people storing um, non-automotive or vehicle uh, property in the car spots in the uh, in the, the the garage and you know it's an eyesore and it's potentially dangerous and if you will observe the attached special rule 3d uh, and then it's like five sheets of paper uh, with like legalese <laughs> uh, for like the the rules of the the apartment complex and it's it's just shit like that. I'm like, all right, man, I'm I'm living in I'm living somewhere else. That that's for sure. It ain't an anarchist utopia commune. I mean, look, I think that you know the more the more bullshit small print you have to read, the better your living environment is, right? 
because that that's how you know your landlord has your back because they've planned for every contingency. All right. So what is the strata? Is that like a like a homeowners association type situation, like a love body that kind of dictates the rules of living in a in a space? Yeah, basically, it's like homeowners association mixed with like property mm-hmm. manager. Okay. Um, you know, that kind of thing. And so it's like, like, it's like the represent representation and management of like the, uh, the, the corporation that owns the building and the, the common property and all of that. I'm, I'm holding up my copy of, uh, David Graeber's The Utopia of Rules on Technology, Stupidity, and the Secret Joys of Bureaucracy. Cause I'm <laughs> living that now. I'm, li- uh, that's my life right now. It's beautiful, isn't it? Jason, all you really need to do is uh, figure out who who the the body politics or the uh, the people that are involved in all this who they are by name, and do a little bit of digging. I remember reading something a while ago about a guy who uh, had a um, the president of his homeowners committee like be a complete rude asshole to his family or to him or something. I don't remember exactly what, what the impetus of the investigation went, but it pissed him off so much that he went digging and found out that she had been running a false homeowner, homeowners association and had been pocketing the dues. And then, uh, her, she lost her real estate license, her fucking house, her husband left her. Like she got sued for a bunch of money all because she was just a rude, rude individual to somebody. And they went digging. Jesus. Damn, see, this is the thing. You know, people always complain about unions being like, oh, you know, they you got to pay dues to a union. You know, you got to pay dues. They want to cut your paycheck. You got to pay dues. But you get a lot in return for a union. What you get from a homeowners association, aren't you supposed to own your home? <laughs> aren't you supposed <laughs> to own your home? Uh, you know, that that's supposed to be the escape from the landlordism and rentierism. I mean, I'm still renting, but it's funny. You did slip up, Jeremy. You, you said body politic until you corrected yourself, which is very <laughs> funny because it's called a body corporate. So, I mean, that's the, that's the anti-politics right there. There is no body politic anymore. There is only the body corporate or, and how y'all like this pro segue, or what if you turn yourself into a corporation? You know, that's the future right there. LLC, you know, I think that's me personally. In my you know travels, in my journey to this moment, I feel like the best thing any person can do, and this includes you, listener, is uh, incorporate themselves either as a sovereign citizen or as an LLC, maybe even an S-Corp. Actually, you know, if we're going sovereign citizen, the United States is a corporation, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. Like, yeah. What's that they believe? believe that, uh, they believe <laughs> that the United States is like is a corporation <laughs> that. Or no, isn't it that the United States has created a like, like a kind of like a twin corporation for every mm-hmm. single person, uh, and and they like they own you through this corporation that they've created, I don't know, something like that. I'm about. To, I'm going to dive into this right now. I'm going to look right into it. <laughs> is the United States a corporation? I wasn't getting anything from the sovereign citizen dive. The the move is, of course. I mean, this is like, uh, yo, this is hustler Instagram. This is oh, hustler. Here, I found this. Uh, <laughs> the primary it? talking point of those who believe this theory is the twenty eighth U.S. Code three zero zero two. Within that legal document is the phrase that the United States is a federal corporation. Those who believe the theory also point to the year eighteen seventy one as proof. In eighteen seventy one, the District of Columbia or Organic Act of 1871 was a means for the Rothschild family to further their corporate interests. Okay. In reality, it was a pushback against the 14th Amendment, which granted equal rights to former slaves as well as all American citizens. Is the United States a corporation? Uh, the short answer is no. The president is the well, chief executive. say that. Yeah, they right. <laughs> Oh, there's a whole ass website. Um, at the end of the Civil War, Congress reconvened and passed what was called the United States Reorganization Act of 1871, known as the Act to Provide a Municipal Government for the District of Columbia. However, this government was different. It was structured as a foreign-owned corporation and called the United States. It even adopted the Republic Constitution, but changed only one word. The they changed the constitu- they changed the word constitution for the United States to Constitution of the United States. Therefore, this change made the Constitution a possession of the government corporation and not the possession of the people. 
The only power this government had was to govern over matters of commerce within the District of Columbia. What we call the state of your state is actually a sub-corporation of the United States Corporation engaged in matters of commerce. This state is not to be confused with the union state of your state, which is part of the original pre-Civil War Republic. Therefore, United States Corporation is foreign to the union state as its geographic boundaries are restricted to the land area of the District of Columbia. This distinction <laughs> has been recognized in numerous court cases before the U.S. Supreme Court. Don't take our word for it. Read from the book Cooperative Federalism by Gerald Brown, EDD. This shit owns. I'm a cyber citizen now just for the war. I want to be part of this war. <laughs> Look, if if we're all if we're embracing like uh you know like like parallel religions and 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 stuff like that, you know, if we're embracing that, well, I'm embracing this because I want the lore, baby. I want that lore. <laughs> I do some, too. This okay. is some real like snow crash shit. Like, does this stuff? I wonder what the what the uh, the chronology here is, you know, does the sovereign citizen movement predate, which it, I think it does, um, maybe like predate snow crash or, or is like, where's the relationship here? Cause you know, thinking about like, you know, snow crash is a world of franchise governments, you know, um, where, where citizens are actually just like citizens of corporations. I mean, come on, that's, that's ad buster shit, baby. It's the United States of consumerism, uh, the, the flag is just brands put on your, they live glasses. <laughs> what if we just pivoted real hard to being, uh, like a real deep sovereign citizen podcast and yeah, just, 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 just all just immediately, suddenly just pivot real hard to getting deep into the lore, uh, of this shit. On April Fool's, we should do this. We should do this on April <laughs> Fool's. What what we can segue to and talk about today is a is a is a wild ass article that was just in the New Yorker, which I didn't make the sovereign citizen connection, but is in a lot of weird ways kind of a bizarro like like Silicon Valley meets you know uh, financialization of everything version of sovereign citizenship, right? Like what if uh, you know. What what you know, we you know we all love venture capital right like we love the venture capitalist we love the venture <laughs> capital model um, we all believe that venture capital if aptly applied is the solution to any and every problem we all believe that that's axiomatic at this point right. we, we can right. just assume it so I mean but if venture capital is good enough for uh, innovation, you know, technological advances, um, solving climate change. Uh, you know, if venture capital is good for all that stuff, isn't it also good for, for us, right? Like where, where's my venture capital? Like invest in me, you know, why can't I sell shares of myself? Why can't I, you know, why can't A16Z, uh, value, you know, run a, a, a lead a investment round in the, the, you know, Jathan Incorporated. Um, what's my valuation? You know, like I'll give you, uh, you know, five cents for, um, or 5% of my worth, you know, for $10 million. Let's just, let's just start there and negotiate, right? Like, be careful what you wish for. <laughs> doesn't make sense. <laughs> At the point I'm at right now, they can have these nuts for for hundred k, and I'll be fine with that. <laughs> but all right, dear dear listeners, so there's a the title of this piece in the new, in the latest uh, New Yorker caught my attention alone. And I was like, I know this is going to be some shit to to talk about in TMK. And then we actually read it. I was like, this is so much stupider and and freakier and weirder than I had anticipated, largely because of the 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 dudes who are proposing it but there's this piece by uh uh nathan heller in the new yorker called is selling shares in yourself the way of the future two tech-minded brothers are testing the market on themselves Beautiful. i don't even know where to begin with this right <laughs> like <laughs> it's so boneheaded but i mean it, essentially what they're saying is 
you know, Daniel and David Lieberman, who are uh, two brothers, um, you know, who immigrants, you know, born in Soviet Russia, uh, immigrants from um, uh, Moscow, I believe, uh, now kind of living in uh, Silicon Valley, LA area, but jet setting like all around the world, meeting and greeting with some of, you know, well, like uh, supposedly, you know, everyone from, uh, the Dalai Lama to uh, the World Economic Forum uh, and every and everything in between. Although there is, there might not actually be that much uh, of a long line between those <laughs> those two uh, those two figures. Um, but you know, these how how would you describe Daniel and David Lieberman? Ed, uh, the 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 pro the subjects of this New Yorker article. Um, idiots. I think, I think, uh, you know, a good, a good, you know, the immediate impulse is to call them idiots, right? Um, I think, uh, because they have a, a largely, it seems to be naive view of the world that pops up in the origin story, that pops up in their life experiences. I mean, like, it's, it's, and, and pops up in the people who are, connected to them, you know, um, like I think one, you know, one kind of, uh, there's one section I want to read because I think it kind of illustrates the type of people they are and surround themselves with. Few members of the general public have heard of the Liebermans or their work, which has a looping manic trajectory like an ant's climb up in a candy cane. Yet they belong to a rising techie class that quietly traffics novel-seeming ideas among powerful people, shaping the wider world we live in along the way. In the past decade, the brothers led the design of the 3D Bitmoji feature on Snapchat, <sighs> helped put out a hit Russian political satire show, and devised an approach to capping corporate returns for investors. They have a way of popping up like a lanky pale bill and ted in the background of interesting moments with improbable associates one friend of theirs calls them hilariously networked another jerry Mur murdoch found them on his path towards spiritual relief i was on honeymoon in 2010 in Dharamshala, spending part of it in the palace with his holiness the dai lama and on the way out of there we met Girthu jigmi rinpoche who was the reincarnation of a saint named pema lingpa and he said You've got to meet these two brothers I know, Murdoch, a co-founder of Inside Partners, which holds one of the world's largest venture capital funds, told me. So I would fly around to different cities of the world, and the Liebermans would be there, London, New York, Geneva, Zermatt, and we would talk, we'd walk down the street and talk. Small talk with the brothers veers towards big ideas. Murdoch, having led an investment round in Twitter, asked them for their thoughts about the future of the platform. The Liebermans broaden it into a full-service mobile messaging app, a role now filled by WhatsApp, Murdoch. It's unfortunate that Twitter didn't do that. Murdoch boasted of a meeting between the brothers and the Dalai Lama. The Dalai Lama seemed to like them a lot, he said. Then I introduced them to Richard Branson. The excitement that some people say they get from being with the Liebermans can sound like other people's episodes of psychedelic drugs. There's this blending of contrasting qualities, abstract global transformation thinking combined with getting in there and debugging code. Ken Caladiria, a leading climate scientist in whose get guest house the Liebermans once lived for several months, told me. Your brother's specialty is reframing problems on a large scale by poring over minutiae, often with a turn of nerdy showmanship characteristic post on their Instagram feed starts with a photograph of a shirtless Daniel and proceeds to ruminations on the second law of thermodynamics. Born to two Soviet scientists, they wryly describe being experimented on during their youth. And at least one experiment, enrollment in the same grade despite their age difference, had lasting effects. Today, the brothers answer messages, phone calls, and Zoom invites as a single entity and haven't been apart for more than some 20 days, then only because of a passport snafu. We realize we are sort of a superhuman when we're together, Daniel said. At home, the brothers share a single king-size bed. <laughs> All right, I'll, I'll, I'm gonna rip behind the. I'm gonna rip the curtain open a little bit for listeners. Uh, and before we start recording, we we were discussing how how much of a line do we need to walk, and how much attention do we need to give to the fact that these. That Daniel and David Lieberman, these two brothers, are abs are stone cold freaks, right? Like, like I mean, they, they like how much to focus on that because 
it's such a big part of the story versus the uh, the actual like proposals and ideas that they're presenting and the people that they surround themselves with and the project they're trying to get off the ground and all of that, which is itself um, as Ed is correct that I mean the only word is naive. It's highly naive and myopic while being while. Confuse, they are confused themselves, but they have also fooled a bunch of the other uh, idiots around them with way too much money um, and way too big of egos that, that, you know, what they are doing is actually some kind of, you know, revolutionary thinking that it's disruptive, transformative. It's going to be the solution to everything. And we'll get into the details of their, their specific proposal, which is basically like, uh, venture capital investment in people instead of in startups or companies or projects or ideas. Um, and this idea that you should be able to sell shares of yourself as a way of solving the intergenerational wealth uh, crisis or whatever. It makes no sense. If that sounds confusing, it's because it makes no sense. Uh, it's not because you haven't uh, misunderstood. There's a real line between like, how how much do we like, you know, Focus just on that versus focusing on the idea that these two brothers are uh, a beautiful mind, and they they conceive of themselves, or at least they they at least act and put forward this idea that they are they are one entity, they are they are one single mind uh, that they have that they have somehow mind melded with each other. Um, they are you know one one networked brain oper operating in two different bodies. Uh, real some real real uh uh freaky you know real hours right now real freak hours happening <laughs> they're fucking demon hours demon i mean hours. The, it, it's also i think it's really interesting to think about how a lot of venture capitalists have like i think it's overlooked how a lot of a lot of them have like deeply anti-human views and it's kind of thought of as like an optimization of what it means to be a person it's thought about as like uh exploiting you know one weird hack to help you thrive in the capitalist world right but Ignoring and glossing over the fact that the world that we live in is also a deeply anti-human and hostile to just like human flourishing world. A lot of the ideas they propose, a lot of ideas that people like this propose is how to like, how to hustle harder, you know, how to present yourself in the marketplace better, how to generate returns from yourself, how to make a commodity out of the future so that you can leverage that for today. You know, like a lot of bullshit to try to just generate more revenue for other people with you also being a party in this transaction this time. That doesn't, you know, I think there's a lot of like, you know, attempts to be like, well, if it generates more money, if it generates more wealth, then it's probably a good thing. When in reality, as we've talked about, is the is a core theme of this podcast is a lot of the innovation is figuring out how to get money from your wallet into someone else's wallet. And sometimes you get some money. Sometimes they let you keep some money in your wallet. But most of the time there's a gun out and you're losing all of it, you know. I don't even have to look at these guys to the to have a mental image of a like a bad early nineties image comic villain called Hive Mind or some shit like this. this Truly, true. I mean, he, you should look them up because they I, look ain't shaming nobody, but they but they're not twins. Although they're although they're they're like a year apart from each other. Um, I us I, I I just thought they were twins, uh, but. Anyways, I mean, going on what Ed was saying as well, uh, I mean, this is exactly right here. I mean, so much of this is about, um, it, it is about the absolute naivete and stupidity of a lot of people who hold themselves up as the smartest people in the room, right? And, and, and they have oftentimes fooled themselves into thinking this because maybe they were born into money, and so, therefore, they had a lot of money to play around with. And money, you know, wealth begets wealth, right? If you're born into wealth, then you can suddenly um, become a venture capitalist, right? Uh, and start investing. And now, now you've got more wealth. But it's not just your wealth you're playing with anymore. It's other people's wealth, right? Uh, and, and, and so, you're able to spend their money. But you fool yourself into thinking that you are, that you got where you are because you're, um, highly intelligent, or you made all the right moves. Uh, or maybe you do just get really lucky and you were in like the right place at the right time. But again, you convince yourself, um, and maybe you did actually work really hard too, but you convince yourself that everything is 
uh, pure meritocracy, where it's only your own uh, your own hard work, your own nose to the grindstone that got you where you are. Um, and so again, you kind of create this, a, a lot of these people, a lot of these Silicon Valley, Wall Street, Davos, uh, Aspen Institute, like this style of, you know, self-professed kind of like, you know, enlightened capitalist, uh, intellectual, you know, 21st century Renaissance men or whatever. They are, when you actually hear them talk and hear about the kind of people that they uphold as, uh, you know, once in a generation geniuses, uh, you know, the people who are going to lead us into uh, Shangri-La, um, it, they reveal themselves to be just absolute idiots, like, like real blinkered. Uh, and yet, because they're hilariously networked, um, because they know all the right people and they, uh, you know, they, they, they're, they're all, they're in the right circles and they, you know, they have the right audiences with people that hold positions of power or they get access to, uh, wealth or whatever, right? Like, even though on their face, the things that they propose, are at best senseless and at worst, uh, in like, like intentionally destructive, um, to hu you know, human nature, to society, whatever. Um, they get mistaken as these geniuses because of the people they surround themselves with who are themselves just just eager to hear, you know, something naive and something simple presented in a really smart, way as if it were really complex, right? To be like, oh, you know, it's a real dumb guy's idea of a smart guy, right? Like, you know, the idea that like the the way that tr uh, Trump was um, the dumb guy's idea of a rich guy, right? Like he shits in a golden toilet. Um, like these guys to me really strike me. Um, the Lieberman strike me as the a dumb guy's idea of a smart guy where it's like, Ooh, you know, he can be, uh, you know, posting shirtless pictures of himself at the beach, uh, while at the same time in the caption, um, talking about the second law of thermodynamics. Ooh. I resent what I said earlier about them looking like an image comics villain. They actually look like if, uh, the main characters from Zoolander were, um, venture capitalists <laughs> and not models. <laughs> <laughs> they just you look at those blank eyes and it looks like they don't have a brain cell between them. <laughs> well, it's because they're sharing one brain between them, <laughs> Jeremy. <laughs> I mean, just just let me, you know, I'll read a little section from this, or another little section from this article that I think really starts setting up where uh, what these what these brothers and their their siblings, their two sisters who are also getting in on it. Um, want want to do and think is the the future to uh, to solve intergenerational wealth. You know the 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 idea, and it's not even intergenerational wealth like between two different groups of people, right? Like, ooh, millennials and boomers. Let's finally get them together and you know solve these problems. It's like intergenerational wealth uh, inequality uh, in yourself. It's like you know the idea that like. For most people, you know, the, the lowest income or lowest wealth period of your life is going to be when you're younger. And then that changes over time. But shouldn't you be able to get some of that future earnings, some of your future earnings and, and transport that backwards in time to your present day younger self? So you can then use that, that money, that future money to invest in yourself today is basically their idea. And if that sounds a whole lot like debt financing and loans, um, it's because it is, uh, but we will get in. So they, 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 uh, the New Yorker piece writes now, after years of being ideas, people to the world's ideas, people, the brothers had come to New York to fundraise for a big and lucrative idea of their own. In Central Park, they told me that with Maria and Anna, they, uh, their two sisters, they'd created an entity called Lieberman's Co. It held all the income from their enterprises, any debts, assets, and profits they might gain, and any investments they might make or companies they might start for the next 30 years. 
They had gathered all these elements and sold shares in the whole, offering investors effectively a stake in their entire financial future, shares in their life. So far, the Liebermans have traded around 3% of their futures, which investors have valued at $400 million, or about $100 million per Lieberman. They spent a few months in conversations with the Securities and Exchange Commission to list themselves on the stock market, which they hope to do by 2023. Notably, they're still in conversation with the SEC about this. One of the sisters, Maria, who goes by Masha, uh, is like uh, overseeing all of this. And she says everything is moving ahead smoothly the SEC uh, did not comment uh, for this article. So we only have their word that things are moving ahead smoothly to list themselves on the stock market. The article goes on, David Lieberman told me, it's a proof of concept in an extreme way. Uh, Daniel pipes in, it probably sounds stupid, rich guys uh, from the tech world becoming even richer. According to the personal tax returns they show to pr prospective investors, the brothers live two separate lives in the eyes of the IRS. Each has a yearly income in the seven figures. Uh, Improbably, though, the Liebermans see this endeavor as part of an effort to stem 21st century inequality. If they can sell life shares, they think others can too. We're between worlds, and it allows us to be in both skins, Daniel said. In the skin of people who used to, people used to the way capital usually works, and in today's world, which requires something new. What does that mean? What does that mean? <laughs> what does it? <laughs> what does it mean? What's, what does any of that fucking mean? <laughs> We're between two worlds, rich right now, but we also used to not be rich. We also used to just be a little comfy. Maybe even fell in some hard times. We get it. We understand. They make seven figures a year. What are they talking about? Hmm. They're in a world. They're not in between two worlds. I mean, that's the thing. I just, it's also, this thing is like, it's a, it's a more inspired by inspired me demonic version of um, an income share agreement, right? Yes. You know, an income share agreement. We know what those are. Those are fucking loans, right? They're uh, indentured. <laughs> no. um, why is it like that much easier to call a spade a spade in that instance than here and here it's treated as if it's a new exciting possibility but we you know and as they as they go on and elaborate you know the Lieberman corporation the way it works I mean it's it's not it's just it is um, for them for what will happen for them is they'll use it to enrich themselves right but for people who will be offered this sort of thing almost certainly through the Lieberman Corporation, it will end up almost certainly being offered through some sort of vehicle or platform or enterprise that will take some sort of share or say that, you know, for us to properly, we're going to value you at this with an investment alone, right? That you will eventually pay back with a certain amount of your income. Like why is, as you said, if we understand it's an indentured servitude, if we understand that this is a, a sort of first a forced course of arrangement, even if you agreed to enter into it, if you're someone who's struggling and, it, and it's an exploitative loan, then why is it suddenly being treated as a glossy new tech-inspired idea that will, what, uh, save the 21st century from inequality? Come on. Give me a fucking break. I mean, this is also, this is the, the hyper-financialization of everything, right? And also the hyper-individualization like individualization of everything. I mean, this is, this is truly, you know, your big, bu your, your, uh, your big bugbear, right? Turning nature into an asset. That's class. insane. That's what this is. This is turning people uh, and people's futures into an asset class that you can decide, that you can value, that not you, venture capitalists, that venture capitalists can value uh, and invest in as they want. But obviously, I mean, it's it's so obvious how this falls apart, right? And they even kind of joke about it, right? Like, uh, you know, some people just say this is rich, you know, tech guys getting even richer. And then and then, it, and then the piece just moves on from there. It's also quite annoying how un uh, only un until like uh, uh, two or three very short paragraphs at the end of this like long, like 15,000 word essay um, that... 
only in those like two or three short paragraphs does it start getting a little bit skeptical of the idea. Otherwise, the article itself is so taken with the like bizarre charisma um, of these two brothers, which has taken, which you know has has fooled and taken in a ton of other people. Again, it's the dumb idea, dumb guy's idea of a smart guy. Right where if something is put forward in this way that seems so complex, where your first response said, "What does that even mean? What does that fucking mean?" Instead of uh, having the confidence to be like, "Yeah, no, it's stupid. It doesn't mean anything. It sounds confusing because it is confused, not because it's complex, because it's confused." Um, but instead, for most people, I think. When they hear something put forward with such confidence and in such a way that uh, is just very like straightforward to the point, right? Like, you know, they just kind of lay it out. They dazzle you with uh, the way that they speak or the way that they uh, put forward these ideas, the way they talk about them, right? I think for a lot of people, when they encounter something that seems so complex as to be confusing, they think the problem is themselves, that they're not smart enough to understand it, that they're not, that they haven't, the light bulb hasn't gone off yet. And that these two brothers must possess, must possess like secret knowledge. Right. And if they, and all I need to do is uh, I may, may not be able to understand or access the secret knowledge, but they've got it. And if I can hitch my wagon to them, if I can stay in their inner circle, then maybe, maybe I will benefit from the secret knowledge that they possess. Like it really seems like that is the kind of like psychological trick that's happening here because when you actually drill down into it and the article does a little bit again and you know very sh brief kind of asides when you drill down into what's actually happening here it is a loan it is just debt financing uh, where you are taking out shares of your future income or future earning potential uh, in the form of money now, invest, you know, they're calling it investment, but it's a loan, right? You're getting money now. And in the future, you have to pay back that money um, in some way, whether it is through uh, people cashing out their shares in you, whether it's through the kind of human capital contracts that have been around for um, the last five or six years of, uh, of people uh, of an income share agreement, basically, where I'm, I'm you know, I'm investing X amount of money in you right now for 3% of your future income over, you know, over the next 30 years or something like that, right? Like, either way, it's all like financially all works out in very similar ways. When you drill down to this really bizarre idea of, of venture capital for, uh, for people of, you know, incorporating yourself so you, you know, so you can sell shares of, uh, you know, Jathan Incorporated. It, it it comes down to the only difference is psychology. As the article lays out, in theory, you know, so corporations are allowed to warm their wealth forward and backward in time by selling shares. So, for example, when investors value a corporation such as Costco, they take into account the company's likely growth and figure out a price for a share with that future in mind. Costco is currently priced at 40 times its current earnings. In theory, people can do this same thing through debt, but debt is psychologically onerous and rarely encourages people uh, or rarely encourages personal risk-taking. The Liebermans convince themselves that if you let people move their future wealth value around the way corporations do, people and businesses would be more evenly matched. So there's uh, uh, the Liebermans say that the difference is psychological, right? And in where the money is coming from. But their model isn't so much digging young people out of their predicament as replacing one kind of weight with another. The vulnerable are still vulnerable, and it remains a long way from the bottom to the top. So this is all it comes down to, right? Like they have come up with this like this complex, crazy idea. And and to be sure, I do not think this will actually happen. I think this is a real, this is a kind of curio. It's an interesting thing um, that is more representative of the types of logics that people in Silicon Valley and Wall Street 
are, and you know, the people that attend Davos and the Aspen Institute, right? Like the thought leaders of the world. It's, it's more representative of the kinds of ideas and solutions and logics that they are interested in putting forward as the solution for big, massive social and ecological crises, crises that have been around for a very long time. And it's, and it's what they're doing is they're just dressing up very old types of social relations with new clothing. It makes me think actually like this idea um, of like investing venture capitalist investing in a, a young artist who shows potential. This kind of shit has been around for a very long time as well. Um, where it makes me think of a very famous story of like the, of the backstreet boys, um, back when they were early, but they were starting to hit big, they were controlled by their, their, uh, the record agency, right? Like they were absolutely in essentially like an indentured servitude relationship, even though they were doing like selling out world tours, uh, when they were young, they were, they were given a $10 a day allowance for food. So I mean, this is, this is like, these kinds of relationships of like, you know, big, uh, deep pocketed investors seeing the earning potential of young artists or young writers or young workers or whatever, and then investing in them, right? A lot of investment went into the Backstreet Boys, right? They had stylists, they had tour managers, they had all of this that the record agency was picking up the tab on. But in return, they owned their lives they owned everything they uh, they made um through their work in return for that investment that's it, this is exactly what we're seeing now but it's just dressed up in the the silicon valley language of like democratization of venture capital it's evil <laughs> you know like this sort of this sort of stuff is really deeply in a front and attack on like most of the things that are decent about human being and a real attempt to like circumscribe the range and the autonomy that people can enjoy and flourish within and move around in life and to just market transactions right and quantifiable interactions um that can be speculated upon or, um, you know, new assets can be synthesized on top of like we talked about in that Omero paper, right? All of this is, I mean, like ask yourself when you see something that is presented as an innovation, what is the innovation? Is the innovation a new way to trade something that's connected to it and points to it? Is the innovation a new way to do something? Or is it a new way to earn money and squeeze money out of something that already exists? Is it a new way to take like a finite number of things and turn it into an infinite number of things? I.e., you know, take you and yourself and turn it into an infinite number of shares for your future income based on the, you know, whatever arbitrary cap or valuation your future income will get, right? You right now are working your labor. We know your labor value right now. We know how much um, you, you get paid for per, by the hour. That's real. That's tangible. What if we just said for the next 40 years, we slice it up and we put it into a pie that's worth $34 million as they did with like some YouTuber influencer. Now we have even more assets to, to speculate on. And maybe you can even speculate on that and you can make even more money on that. Right. And then now we have another even larger pie to speculate on and take more shares of. It's, um, it's deeply troubling that like a lot of the most innovative stuff is just like how to synthesize more assets and how to trade them and ignore like what risk they introduce into the system at large, which is usually like none of this shit is real, right? Or none of this shit is real, even when it claims to point to a real asset, right? Because I think, you know, like some people, some supporters may be like, oh, well, you know, this is pointing to your income, right? This is pointing to the income that you're expected to make. Well, then you just kind of have to step back, you know, and ask yourself, right, maybe for, for a corporation, for example, right, it's a little bit more excusable because a corporation in of itself and stock markets and, and, and markets themselves are made to raise capital and generate capital because they're just enterprises for profit-seeking behavior, right? They're vehicles for profit-seeking behavior and for returning, uh, for realizing returns to investors. Human beings are not that. 
So at what point are we going to say like human beings deserve to be free of like every single impulse of market logic that people want to impose on them? Or at what point are human beings going to be free of like this need to discipline them to the market, uh, to the market's needs and demands, right? Why is your life being subordinated to uh, this weird hack to VCs created to make more um, loans and speculative returns? Instead of like them being subservient to your needs. I don't know, man. These people are insane. They keep me up at night um, because they have too much fucking money and they're well connected. And so even if, even if it fails, some version of it will persist now because they've lit that light bulb in someone's head. They're already sold on private markets. I mean, not private, you know, markets per se, but they've already sold to investors and fundraised to investors shares in their own future. And on futures of their friends, right? They've already done this. So, like, it's going to be an idea that is going to proliferate, and we're going to now be forced to deal with multiple iterations of it if this main one fails and they don't actually get approval from the SEC, which, God, please, if you work at the SEC and you listen to this podcast, please, for the love of God, (laughs) do something about this. (laughs) Fucking kill it in the crib. Or if you if you know someone, see something, say something, kill it now. <laughs> I, f- I feel like at some point in the, in the future, we're we're all gonna just like wake up from this fucked up fever dream right before that monkey touches the obelisk at the beginning of two thousand one. <laughs> we're all just gonna like rush his ass and throw him to the ground and just beat the fucking obelisk with rocks. <laughs> <laughs> It's not <laughs> worth it. Don't do it. This is cursed <laughs> knowledge. <laughs> I mean, what it really is as well, it, you know, because a, a lot of justification for this is about the idea. You know, yes, they're they, you know, they dress they dress it up in the idea of uh, solving intergenerational wealth, right? But for them, it's also about giving people the the resources and ability to take risk earlier, right? Like this is what venture capital is all about, right? It's about inducing. Uh, you know, more risk taking in society because risk is where the real reward comes from. You know, you can't build stuff unless you take risk. Um, And so a lot of this is about like, how do we get people, how do we induce people to take risk? And we want, and, and to be sure, we do want people to be comfortable enough to be able to take risk, you know, uh, to, you know, musicians and artists and writers, um, you know, chefs, uh, painters, whatever, right? Like these dreams that people have of things that they want to do, but they're risky. And so, you know, for a lot of people, you can't afford to take that risk. You can't afford to pursue your dream to be an artist or a writer or a chef um, because you've got bills to pay. You got rent to pay. Maybe you have uh, dependents to take care of, right? So you you can't do you can't you can't pursue those dreams, and so. This is a social problem and one that we must, you know, find solutions to. But the, the, the ultimately, it's not going to be found through this idea of venture capital for people, right? Um, because what they are presenting is uh, fundamentally individualistic solutions for uh, irreducibly social problems, right? They are completely incompatible with each other. Um, and that you, but that's by design, right? Because social solutions mean that these people don't actually have, uh, a, a privileged space in society, you know, as the ideas men, as the, 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 the coin purse holders, you know, as decision makers, right? A uh, social solution to this instead would be to give everybody, um, a, uh, a comfortable, uh, standard of living as basic, right? As default. And then you can, and then you only move up from there, right? You take risk and you only move up from there, but knowing that you'll never fall, uh, further below that, uh, that, that comfortable standard of living. That's what's required here. Instead, what they want is the, like, the logical and, and, and psychotic conclusion of like LLC Twitter or, or LLC TikTok or LLC Instagram, right? The idea that like, you know, you got to be out there starting LLCs and doing businesses, right? It's like, you know, the YouTubers like Gary V, you know, these like business uh, guerrilla mindset thought leaders who are like, 
you got to be out there working 20 hours you gotta a day. Be you got to be starting an LLC capital, every man. single you gotta week. You got to be forging for capital. That's right. You got to be hunting and gathering capital. You got to be hunting and gathering risk. You got to be jumping, you know, taking those leaps. Of, you know, all, That's the LLC, guerrilla mindset, business thought leader, uh, you know, CrossFit for entrepreneurialism kind of uh, bullshit. And what they're doing is they're taking that to the next logical step. You can't just be starting LLCs. You got to be an LLC. You got to be like Jay-Z, man. You can't be a businessman. You got to be a business, man. (laughs) You know, a little while ago, you mentioned like artists, especially musicians, like getting, you know, falling victim to this. Like you use the, the, uh, the, uh, Backstreet Boys as an example. But I mean, the, 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 the artist clause in a lot of these record contracts, you know, there's a there's a reason why it seems like so many popular artists died at a young age because they outlived their usefulness to their record labels. May or may not have been been you know knocked off. I mean, there's reports that there's like a I forget the name of the artist. It's like a, a like a, a early rock and roll artist back in the late fifties. It was real popular for a little bit. And then he decided he didn't want to go the direction the record label wanted to go. And then a couple of weeks later, he ended up dead. And his record sales went through the roof because they celebrated the life of this artist that passed early. Sometimes death is more valuable to a record label than more future albums because they can market that. There's a reason why so much art, uh, you know, art itself from artists, not just music, uh, is the worth of that skyrockets after that person is no longer around because they're not making it anymore. And maybe some people make it like a tactical choice of saying, you know, I felt like everything they made thus far is good enough. Let's, let's cut them loose and keep making money off of what they've already made. You can't put it past them. Right. I think everything you're saying is, is pointing to this idea that, you know, at two things, right. That, one, as we said, these kinds of so, these kinds of relationships, financial or otherwise, have been around for a very long time, just taking different forms and being called different names. But it also raises this idea too: what happened? We know what the pressure is like for uh, a, a VC when a VC invests in a startup. We know that they're not doing it um, with no strings attached, right? as passive investors. VCs are, by definition, active investors. They take a very active role in advising the startup, but also pushing the startup towards scaling, growing, pivoting, right? We want that return on investment. We gave you money. You think this money was a was charity? Uh, no, this money was an investment. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, we want, we're going to get that return on our investment in any way that we can. And so suddenly that introduces all these, uh, shareholder pressures into your life, right? Like, you know, Ed, you wanted to, uh, write, you know, you want to write that book, but you know, books don't really make a lot of money unless they're, you know, like New York Times bestsellers. And, and, you know, that's pretty rare. Um, so instead me, uh, and the rest of the shareholder board that owns uh, your future, we, we say you should be doing this other thing instead. That would actually be more lucrative, um, more more stable returns. You know, all of a sudden you start introducing some really weird um, power dynamics and relationships already exist to varying degrees, but start making it even more direct in this way. The unintended consequences here are are absurd. I mean, it works for someone like the the Liebermans because they are already wealthy. They already own, have uh, a lot of social capital as well as economic capital, right? And so they are not beholden to that kind of shareholder pressure, right? If they were to sh- uh, sell shares in themselves, which they are doing, you know? Um, but what about, you know, what about a, 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 a young uh, rapper, which is an example they give, right? Where they're like, why buy uh, shares in Spotify when you can buy shares in an up-and-coming yeah. hip-hop artist instead? You know, you think he's got the money or social status or position to, uh, uh, you know, just take this investment and run with it? Or or you think there's maybe some uh, some pressures that get introduced there by the people what who if literally own your future? Instead of investing in a company 
you could earn revenue by writing its Wikipedia articles and you could you could invest in <laughs> you could invest in future traffic uh, to the um, to the company. It's future success really because the more successful a company is, the more Wikipedia traffic it gets, right? There's there's lots of ways we can optimize idle capital and idle productive assets like websites and views and, and Wikipedia pages that are currently free and inefficient and public and free writing. You know, I think they're onto something here. You know, everything should cost money and make money. And if it doesn't make money, then you don't do it. <laughs> it's like you're saying. Yeah, I mean, you know, you know how many uh, startups, you know, burn out and fizzle in a flash, right? Like, yeah. You know, now, now your friends will no longer be mixtape rappers in your hometown because look, show me fifty investors or more, and I'll sign you. It's not about views. It's not about streams. It's not about listens. It's about investors. <laughs> It's about investors. That's right. I mean, Patreon, in a lot of ways, was was also mo- trying to be that exact kind of thing, right? You can invest directly into artists, and so it's what we were saying. While the the asinine, convoluted scheme described in this New Yorker article may not exist, its logics live on. And its logics have been around for a very long time. And these are the ideas that people in power in Silicon Valley and Wall Street are, are you know, these are the, the ideas on the table that they reach for when they need solutions to problems, right? They, they, don't, they don't reach for uh, the very simple, straightforward, you know, social or collective solutions, um, simple and straightforward, and they work. Um, instead, they reach for the convoluted, complex, confused, uh, market-based, individualistic solutions, which will never work, right? But that's fine because it doesn't actually threaten the existing structures, the existing regime, and their place within it, right? Uh, and I mean, just to show you how like you know naive these brothers are as well, you know, I, I read another piece. On the curb at the San Francisco airport, they commandeered another white Tesla, this one rented through Turo. In their own car, the brothers like to play Billie Eilish's My Future. I'm in love with my future, can't wait to meet her, the song goes, and bob their heads. But now they talked about being early advocates of the so-called sharing economy and Airbnb in particular. They'd grown circumspect about the company when it did like little to discourage landlords from buying up several apartments and running them as unofficial hotels. The brilliance of the Airbnb idea, in their view, had been its use of what was already available to meet other people's needs, lowering the cost for everyone. Again, idiots. Idiots. They buy into the naive uh, sales pitch that this stuff is about, like, Activating right, latent capital, right? They they so desperately a lot of these tech grows, especially when they're like these kind of blinkered, like they're not cynical, right? I don't think these brothers are cynical. I think they are naive, uh, but I don't think that they're cynical. It's always interesting to see how the really naive, well-intentioned people um, essentially want. They so desperately want to innovate their way into uh, from every from uh, each person's needs according to each person's abilities, right? Like um, you know, like they so desperately want to innovate their way into uh, uh, you know communism, but without any of the communism. And so they look to things like the sharing economy, or they look to things like. Uh, you know, VC selling shares in your future, right? Like they look to all of these market mechanisms to achieve goals that are fundamentally anti-market. Because we don't believe in markets over here. We believe in each other in our own twisted way. We so we show solidarity with our own class, and that means sometimes the market doesn't know best, and you just have to sick it on other people and protect yourself from it. And that's just the game of the game, baby.
Uh, all right. Well, I think that that about does it for for that article and about and and this this episode of of, of TMK. Uh, that 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 headline <laughs> was definitely bait, and we didn't even get into. Did we did good? I'm proud of us. We focused more yes. on the uh, the asinine I did instead <laughs> of the stone cold freaks uh, of of these brothers. And they are freaks. Let's be clear. Read the article. They are freaks. Yes. Uh, read the article, if only for, for them alone. The article was definitely TMK bait. But I think in the effort of, of tracing in real time how these, these longstanding financialization logics are beginning to contort and be, become even more perverse, right? Like, if you think that they've capped, that they've capped out, you're, you are woefully mistaken. They continue to become more and more perverse as they are allowed to develop and spread and expand further. Um, rather than what should have happened to them ages ago is, uh, you know, shot through the heart with a silver bullet. I think the my main takeaway from this episode is... Uh idea guys are just always trying to recreate some form of slavery that's all that they're that's all that they're trying to do and they might get it this time it is actually that that uh that ricky morty bit of like that sounds like slavery yeah. with a few more steps in between yeah. it's not good it's not a good feeling we're always heading towards 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 that mm-hmm. wonderful wonderful future of uh techno slavery <laughs> <laughs> Oh, God. I don't like it. With that, I think I'll I'll call an end to this uh, meeting of the, mm-hmm. the Midnight Society. Um, thank you, everybody, <laughs> for listening. You can find more This Machine Kills at patreon.com slash thismachinekills uh, for an additional premium episode every single week. Um, catch us over there. Uh, so we'll see you on the premium feed or we'll see you on the free feed again next week. Until then, later. Adios. Adios.